You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 28. All right. With me today, we have a guest that I'm just super excited to have on the show. This is Ed Baraff, the founder of Pencil First Games and the product lead of Herbaceous. Ed, welcome to your Tables on Fire. Tables on Fire. It's crazy. <laughs> Ed, for those that don't know you, uh, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh... My name is Ed Baraff, and I make games. Um, as you know, Jeff mentioned, I founder of Pencil First Games, but basically I've had the fortune of making games my entire career. I started in um, video games and then transitioned into board games with and card games with Murder of Crows and Liftoff Get Me Off This Planet. Since then, I've run a number of Kickstarters and made a number of games. Um, and I've also, uh, after Liftoff Get Me Off This Planet, I started doing board game reviews and card game reviews. So I have a review channel and also a sort of a video vlog thing where I give advice on Kickstarters and, and, and various game making stuff on YouTube as well. And, you know, and for anyone who follows uh, your tables on fire on Twitter, we constantly retweet all your tutorials because they're so fantastic. So we, we greatly oh, appreciate you. everything you do. Well, so let's let's take a step way back, and I guess at the very beginning, what got you into gaming in the first place? Um, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, I was sort of an indoors guy that played a lot of video games. I was sort of that kid, <laughs> um, and uh, but I was also a little bit of an entrepreneur at the time. I, you know, I had a catering business and like a house cleaning business and shoveling business, and just I was making money for the sole purpose of buying video games. So I had, a, I had a pretty large collection of video games that I funded through starting jobs and work and stuff. And and so anyway, I, I had no aspiration to actually make games professionally or be in that industry. Um, I just uh, went to the University of Michigan and was convinced that there would be people there making games and I'd see what it was about and saw that there wasn't anyone doing it except for the Dr. Mario Club where they literally just played Dr. Mario. <laughs> um, and so... You know, I don't know, maybe I was complaining to somebody, I don't remember, but somebody's like, well, why don't you start a game-making club? I mean, you only need like five people, and there's two of us here, so go get three more. And so I started Wolverine Soft um, at the University of Michigan, and we started making games, and after I graduated, I almost went to Japan, but instead tried to start my own game-making company. This is all video game stuff. It, it bombed, um, but then I worked in QA at Atari and moved up in the industry, and, and that's sort of how I got into it all. So it's, um, it's, been, it's been a ride, for sure. Hmm. What what was the catalyst for transitioning into uh, bo- board tabletop games? Um, well, so there was two pieces to it. One was when I was working at a company called Mind Control Software in um, Marin County in, in California. Uh, I was a producer or product manager or something like that. And um, the art director there, Thomas Denmark, uh, actually had a history of role-playing stuff and the Dungeoneer card game with Atlas. And he had been working on a game called Murder of Crows, and he was sort of stuck and invited me on the project to co-design it with him. And, and he's an artist, but he also does design work. And so that was the first card game, and we made it. And he had already done a bunch of card games with Atlas. So there was this, like, you know, not that they would print anything he did, but, you know, he had an in where he was like, oh, here's my next game. And we did all the art and all the design, so it was really just a, 
do they think they could sell it, which they, they did. Um, and we did that, but then that sort of sat on the side, and I was at a company called uh, Blue Fan Games making, this is, you know, time is passing, but it's making uh, online games, uh, free-to-play mobile and, and Facebook games. And, you know, the company went through some hard times, like video game companies do, and we had to shut down the projects, and they all just disappeared. Like, you know, if you're working on an online game or a free-to-play game and those servers go off, it is gone. You can't even play it again. And, um, you know, it, it sucks. And so at the time, <laughs> I, I really wanted to make a board game because they, you can make a board game, at least as I thought in my head, and, and it's just eternal. Like, it's always, it's like a book. It, it, it can be on your shelf. You can always pull it off, pull it out. It doesn't, like, in fact, I've learned that it does to a degree. But for the most part, it doesn't age. It's not like you can no longer play it because the system doesn't exist anymore. It's sort of self-contained platform, right? And so um, I started Liftoff, Get Me Off the off This Planet. And um, that game I tried to get published. I had that looking for a publisher two or three years. Uh, um, Queen Games had it for two years and then decided that you know they had like an all-thumbs-up process and they had like some thumbs down or whatever they told me at the time. And I had basically... You know, that was just on the shelf until I had played it with some people and then I was around doing a game night thing and, and uh, a guy by the name of Aldo from Impressions um, in the game industry, he like had remembered played and he asked me about it and he sort of was like, you should do a Kickstarter with it. And I was like, you know, and then I did the Kickstarter research thing and I, I went ahead. But that's sort of the long and the short of it, I think. Well, that's an interesting story. Well, you, you, you hinted on it for a minute, so now I have to ask. You mentioned sure. that games kind of have a... Uh, can age. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, you can play games that feel dated um, and look at not only you know, like production value, for example, is through the roof now and card quality and box quality and miniatures. And, and you know, you can just open an older game and be like, oh, they're like cubes inside of here. <laughs> right. right. And so it starts feeling some dated. And all, actually, also, I think gameplay and mechanics feel dated. A great game to play. Actually, I have a review coming out in a little while. But if you play the 30th edition of Survive, everyone has these like really warm memories for Survive. And I think there's a lot of Survive, Escape from Atlantis. And um, I think there's reasons for it. But when you pick it up and play it, the pieces are beautiful. They're all like all the all the like the the shark and the um, whales and all the like everything about that that 30th edition release is like modern. But then you're playing the game and you're like, oh. This is sort of just move and roll die, and 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 you know it it, it hasn't um, it's still fun and you can still play it, but it hasn't um, design has progressed a lot in terms of player expectation and what it's capable of. But so I, I think it still holds up better than trying to play like you know some game that was on an iPod three or whatever iPhone three and like you can't load it or play it. I mean it's right. not it's not antiquated, but I think. Uh, you know, you can start playing games and you can, you sort of know around what era, even if you think about games that were three years ago and now there's been this, this just huge acceleration and changes, all these different designers and, hmm. you know, basically the whole Kickstarter thing that has sort of changed the face of, of board gaming. Mm -hmm. And recently has that changed uh, mechanically as well as components? What do you say? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, look, there's always, I mean, I don't want to like, get an email storm, right? But there's, there, there's, <laughs> there are always mechanics that are great. And look, I love all sorts of games from all eras, but um, you definitely see new combinations and new introductions and things that, you know, legacy games is a good example. I mean, it's sort of current, right? But, you know, that, like, 
that wasn't really a thing people did. <laughs> and, 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 and now it's a category and now people are playing with it. But you still can get a really great classic style game. I mean, I just think it, it, it's changed in a way. But um, at the same time, I, that's not to say there's no merit in previous games. I just think that the influx of what you can do with board games and products, plus the influx of fresh and new designers, plus the influx of, you know, just sort of the, the increasing artistic value of board games across a broader spectrum of, of, of people mm -hmm. um, is, is really pushing it all forward. Hmm. Well, that's that's interesting and, and good good for the industry oh, for sure. yeah yeah it's, i mean it's good it makes it you know you can look at the mobile space and see what happens when you have a huge flux of product into a market and escalating quality right like it really it it, it spreads everything out where you have a bunch of losers and you know sort of the um half-life of games dramatically change right games are much spikier they come out they do some sales and they disappear mm -hmm. um but then you have the huge winners as well that get everyone's attention and have access to that gigantic market so you you know it's not that um it's just a changing market and you know there's going to be winners and losers in it but i think that uh you know, it's certainly industry, and I, I love the idea that more people are playing games and, and, and just enjoying what I love and, and what I think all of us love. I think that's a huge deal. And I mean, I think the other thing is I have to live this world between like creator, producer, business. So uh, sorry if I'm like transitioning between something that's like a businessy comment, something's like a designer <laughs> comment. I apologize. No, you know what? Um, no need to apologize because you're you're delivering on my expectation, which is an intelligent conversation. So sure, well done. So you know, you mentioned you review games. You you played games for many many years. So I think this this question is particularly apropos for you. In your opinion, what makes a really good game? Um, you know, and actually, I you know, I would say I'm a long term gamer in general, though. Certainly in, in the board game space, I think I'm, I'm fresher than a lot of people in the, in the seven-year zone instead of the 25-year zone. But to answer the question, I like things that are themselves. Like, I really love games that have a perspective that are layered in that way when you know that there was one vision behind it and somebody had a perspective and they're delivering it in their game. I don't think... Like, I think games can be light, they can be heavy, they can be complicated, they can be simple. Like, I don't hold on to a specific genre or type of play. Um, I, I, I'm really, like, I like enjoying things. But I, the things that I really like are when you look at it and it feels like it's been thought through and it all, like, a really great example of it, like, is, um, um, what's that game called? Um, Steampunk Rally. Have you played Steampunk Rally? Mm -hmm. I have, yeah. You know... You play that game and you're just like, damn. Like, they did like, the details and the instructions to the game, to how it feels, to how the, like, the, how evocative the ricketiness is, and like the design on the, like, the name of the cards and the, the powers that are associated with them. Like, some, that was well done. Mm -hmm. That was well done. Um, and like Potion Explosion, that Kumini or not just released in a, re, in a US release of the, some European one I, I hadn't played previously, it might have been the same name. Um, just another great example of that. Um, um, Chopsticks, De Chopsticks Dexterity Deathmatch, whatever the name of that game is called. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's a stupid Chopsticks Dexterity game, but, like, it's perfect. Um, so those are the things, like, where 
I just feel, I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't actually, I have a copy, but I haven't sat down and played it, but I understand Scythe is a good example of that. I mean, there's all sorts of densities and depths of these things, right? But I just think when, when somebody was able to like love and care for it and make sure that it, it fulfilled on what its destiny was to be, right? And it didn't get thrashed along the way. You can play games where you're like, was this designed by seven people or right. they clearly ran out of time or, you know what I mean? So you, you get that feel. Right. Um, Tim Flowers has games, you know, his, his stuff is all very much clearly his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why it's there. I think they're so loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about, you know, your game, uh, Herbaceous. So for those that aren't familiar with it, uh, tell, give us a rundown. Well, so Herbaceous is this um, light, fun filler game. It's a like a push your luck set collection game, and um, you are p- planting herbs. And, and in, in particular, the art um, by Beth Sobel is just like incredibly. Like, in fact, it was the art that was the impetus for the entire game in and of itself. Like, I saw this art by this awesome artist, and it was so stellar and so, you know. It was just like, we need to make a game with that herb art. <laughs> and then I reached out to her and we figured it all out. Um, and then uh, Steve Finn, who designed it, uh, designed Biblios. And he's just one of my favorite U.S. designers and um, has just a, such a great sense of like um, simple dynamic choices, simple, like moments, lots of decision ty- types and moments. So to get to the game, you're planting herbs and you uh, are planting in your own private garden that you only have access to yourself or in the community garden. And you do that by drawing a card, and you have to decide, do I put it in mine, or do I put it in the community? And then whatever you decide, the other one does the opposite. So if I keep one for myself, the card that I haven't seen goes to the middle, or if I put the card I have seen in the middle, the one I haven't seen goes to me. So you have this little micro decision, this little micro push your luck. Do I take the, the you know, bird in hand, or the rock in the hand, or bird in the bush, or whatever? Yeah, that's what it is. Right, do I, <laughs> um, and... That's one piece, and then the other piece of it is it's these, it's this layered thing where, at the macro level, I have these pots that are looking for sets. One wants all of the same type of cards. One wants um, different types of herbs like um, dill, um, you know, uh, dill, saffron, lavender, whatever, and then um, one that wants pears and one that just wants, you know, sort of a catch-all with some bonus cards, but. You can only score them once, and they score more the more you put in it. So you're sitting there trying to get the most points out of your pots because you're going to collect from what you have and what the community has. So you're just sort of like, can I wait another round for it all to come around to me and the lavender in the middle is still in the middle or somebody else going to take it? So it's the balance of that, but it's just, it's beautiful, it's relaxing, it, you know, it's a game you can play. I really was enamored with the idea of making a game you could play with like your family, and in particular, like your older family, your your parents or your or your aunts or your uncles or your, or your grandparents. I most of the pencil first game lines is games you can play with your family and you can play with your kids. But I hadn't. I don't think any of them truly cracked the play with my mom, who I can play Jim Rummy Jim Rummy with or poker with or like right. card games with. And um, that's a hard nut to crack, right? Because you have to get them to want to look at it. And like you have to be able to capture their attention, which isn't easy. Right. Um, and then have something that they can understand soon enough and get fun from soon enough. So for me, to be able to play Herbaceous with both my mom and my dad, who are like old, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, you know, it was spectacular. And I, and I really see in, in the response from people, I think that's a, 
uh, a space people want to bring. It's easy to bring young people into the fold, but bringing bringing older people who are used to more classic card games, um, I think it's a it's a great opportunity. Hmm. Um, so you you know you talk about this game being light and and kind of casual, stress free, which uh, you know I've seen the art and the art fits that description perfectly. But when you describe the mechanics, the actual gameplay, frankly, it sounds a little bit stressful. Is that just because I don't understand the game, or or is uh, what's uh, it what's it play there? Uh, you know, because you're kind of you know the way you described it, you're kind of sitting on the end of your seat, going, "Oh, is that card still going to be there?" And I'm like, "All right, turn." You know, and like when I think of pressure luck games, I think of you're a little bit on edge. You're completely. It is a smart comment. I think the distinction comes from, in many ways, the art and embracing the vibe of it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, those are stressful moments. And yes, oh, so for one, it doesn't have any direct take that, which is nice, right? Like you're not actually like stabbing the other player. You might like look and see they want something and like not put it in the middle or take it from the middle, but you're not, there's no real direct, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast a spell on you. But I think, but I think the, the other part of it is, when you feel like you're doing something pleasant and casual, um, it's not the same as when they're goblins and demons and zombies, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. you don't um, you don't feel it. What you said is true, but in, in like in, it like it is an accurate statement that in reality is not true, right? Like, <laughs> like that like that is astute. Yet in practice, um, people just are relaxed and happy and having a good time, and it doesn't trigger that type of reaction, it, it just ends up being pleasant. Like, look, poker, um, well, a better, gin rummy is probably a better example, or canasta or bridge. Those all have a lot of those dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or you, you could, uh, uh, like, it's all there in those classic games, but when it's, the, when you're sitting down and you're having tea or you just had dinner and it's pleasant it just doesn't manifest in the way that we've come to expect it to manifest in games you you and I might play, uh, or or more common in that space. You'll just have to play. You got to trust my take my word on it. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, tell us about the design process that this game went through. Where did it start? How did it evolve? This is this is one of those you know for you know sometimes you work really hard and you you know you do all you know you're working on projects for a really long time and and then you have one that comes through and like out of the blue it's like your most successful Kickstarter right <laughs> um, right this one was really uh, so I've known Beth for a while we've been fans of each other in different ways and um, I had sort of been interested in working with her on projects and figuring out her costs and things like that because she's like a commercial artist. Mm. Um, but then she posted this these Bonanza reskin. Like she didn't, she thought the I don't want to speak for her, but she didn't like the Bonanza art, or she wanted to redo it, or just something new. And she did this just it's the cards, and if you if you if you go to the Kickstarter and look at the cards, she she did versions of that, but it was for Bonanza. And I saw it, and I I didn't catch it first what it was, and I asked her like, what's this project? What's the game? And she's like, oh, it was a reskin of of this other game, and I posted it on BGG, and I was like. Man, that's great! So great art, and man, somebody should make a game with that. Like that really deserves to be a game, and it deserves to be a game that like old people and 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 people outside of gaming and in gaming can play together and enjoy. Like 
it just wanted to be that. And, and I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, like, what do you think of making a game with that? And she and it was funny because she was like, you mean with like cards that are like in this style or like like this? And I was like, no, no, no. Like those cards, <laughs> right. like plus or minus five more. Like basically what you have, but then we'll make the game and then we'll need a few more things. And so we worked out the, the, the you know, we, it, there was a real deal in place. It wasn't, you know, we, we worked it all out. Um, and I actually, at first, I wanted to make a solitaire game. Like I was straight up like, this is going to be a game you just can play with a cup of coffee in the morning on Sunday with the newspaper. Like I really was, <laughs> that was like what I was in my head. Um, <laughs> and there's even this incredible book that is like 20 years old. That's like 3000 types of solitaire. And wow. I was starting to read it and I wasn't getting anywhere. And I had <laughs> Steve Finn, I had known for a while because um, I played Biblios and I did this video review that was both um, praising the game, but also giving him a really hard time about um, the monks. And it, it got some good virality, actually. It was a, <laughs> a lot of people saw the review, including him. And at the time, he was doing Biblios Dice, and he sent me Biblios Dice, which is probably one of my favorite games. Mm. And like since then, we've just been in touch, and I review a lot of his games. And uh, he, grew, he lives where I grew up, so I was like at home in New York, and we hung out and did some gaming. And we just thought we'd be fun to work together. And so I actually reached out to him when I was sort of in solitaire slump. And I said, hey, do you know, do you like making solitaire games? And he's like, I don't know anything about solitaire games. And I was like, <laughs> okay, do you, do you, um, what do you think about these herbs? Can you make a game with that? He's like, I'll, I'll take a shot. And, you know, he like, I don't know, called me the, a week later. He was like, I got a game. How about this? And then like a week later, he's like, I fixed the numbers. And then like a week later, he's like, yeah, I think I'm about done. <laughs> um, and we play test. I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but like he just nailed it. He, I mean, wow. that's his, if you don't know Steve, I mean, you may know him, but he is just a fantastic mechanics, dense designer, right? Like he just, he knows how numbers works. He knows how you can recreate tension and, and drama and dynamic you know, experiences with the numbers and the cards and the count. Like he doesn't need a bunch of other crap in there to like, he doesn't need spells to have, may have a good time. And mm -hmm. so, um, and he, and he, and he nailed it and it was fun. And I started playing it and teaching it and everyone was having a good time. And then it just was, I brought Ben Shulman on who I've worked on with the graphic designer for a long time to help with the cards and the instructions and the, and the Kickstarter stuff. And we were actually most of the way through. And then it was even, it was at Gen Con where, was playing it and playing it and playing it. And I started to miss and want that solo play. Like it was like, it was like, man, this game absolutely can do solo play. Mm. And I was just talking to people and thinking about it. And I was like, I'm going to, we're going to, I, you know, I said, you know, Steve, what do you think about getting a guy to come in to do the solo thing? And he was like, Oh, I'm cool with that. So I ended up, um, I got another guy I've known and wanted to work with just from being in the community was uh, Keith, um, Mateka, I can't, can never, <laughs> he's told me how to pronounce his last name a few times. But still, um, he did Bullfrogs, uh, which is a great game and, um, role player and, um, R-O-L-L. And he, um, he did single player modes in both of those. Um, and so he took it on and he, man, he nailed it too. He, 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 he not only made a single player experience that was like evocative of the, the multiplayer experience. And one in which it wasn't like literally just automation. Like it wasn't like, oh, we're pretending there's three other players, mm -hmm. right? Um, but also he like loves Steve Finn design all himself. So he like took other Steve Finn vibey things. So like you could easily mistake the design to be a Steve Finn design even though it wasn't. Wow. Um, and, and, and that came together too. So it really, um, 
it sort of it all fell together. And then look, there's, you, I mean, you're, you have a Kickstarter going right now. You know all the work um, involved in that. So there's there was no short of a, a, of effort to tie it all together and feel the vibe and do the videos and all that. But it, as you know, you know, compared to things that the the siblings trouble had like a hundred and fifty individual full art cards, right? Like like Magic the Gathering grade, like ridiculous <laughs> amounts of like so much like year of and even heroes and tricks was maybe 80 cards but they're all unique mm-hmm. and like you know herbaceous has seven or is it nine no seven um herbs you know the pots the containers the the uh the three uh special herbs and and the flavor pack we're doing as an exclusive kickstarter thing you know and that's it like it's a very pure game and and um and a lot of people have responded really well to it <laughs> Well, so that leads us right into Kickstarter. Uh, so you've been on for about nearing 10 days. Uh, how are things going? Well, I mean, look, it is it's, it was absolutely my um, best first day ever on any campaign I did. We had, whatever, probably 700 backers or so and, and $14,000 in the first day or something like that. Wow. And, um, yeah, you funded it, in um, what, like three or four hours? Well, yeah, and, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a... It's a little bit of a trick, right? Like I had a really aggressive goal. I've never had a product that I had at a sixty-five hundred dollar goal, mm-hmm. um, and and so like I funded that quick. But like, does that you know, Liftoff had a thirty-five thousand dollar target. So does that? But but just in terms of m- m- highest number of backers in the first day and most money, mm-hmm. um, for sure, herbaceous. And at this point, it has the most backers I've ever had in any campaign. And you know, I'm no, you know, Liftoff had like. A thousand fifty, and and siblings trouble had like, I don't know, seven hundred and or eight hundred, and I mean, or you know, and gem pack card had four hundred here, you know. So we're not talking about necessarily huge numbers, but herbaceous is the most, and it's at thirteen thirty six now. And then on the funding side, it's certainly the most, except for liftoff. But liftoff was a thirty nine dollar game, right? Like liftoff was a much more expensive game. Right. Um, but I don't know. It's it is possible looking at it today that um, it actually breaks. Liftoff did I think like fifty two. It, it it would it would have to be a, a screaming finish I think for Herbaceous to get there, especially since we don't have any more um sort of uh, we had a bunch of limited things that all sold out. So I don't I don't have that I don't have that guess in it. You don't have any of the you got to earn that last. You got to earn the end. But <laughs> I mean it's certainly possible uh, and it'll be close. But so you know it's been. It, it's exceeded all expectations. I I, I totally f- messed up all my stretch goals because it blew out, <laughs> out of the water so much, and it's been it's been one of the challenges on this campaign. I I didn't have in any of my other campaigns, so I feel it's frustrating because everything else seems to have gone well. But well, but that's okay. You know, it's a good problem to have. Let's let's be honest. So yeah, and and actually, one of the things that's been so impressive is this has been a very interestingly fan driven thing. It's almost killed me on this campaign, but for all my other campaigns, I've always reached out to backers, like individually, and um, you know, I tend to ask them a few questions. One of which is like, "What caught your like? Why are you here? How did you get here?" Um, and the other is like, "What can I do better?" And for sure, like this campaign, ton of people who love Beth's art, love the art, but then also like a pretty high number who like recognize her name. Hmm. Huge number of Steve Finn fans, 
interestingly, like Jamie Stegmeyer backed and obviously he's worked with Beth in the past himself and I know I know him as well. But a huge number of people who are like, I saw Jamie backed and then I checked it out and then I backed, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> like, like where did he, oh yeah. And then um, a big crowd was from um, Rado Reviews, um, or Richard Hamm. Mm. And, and, and that was a an interesting thing because I've actually, he's he's awesome. He's never reviewed any of my games, but he's awesome because I always ask him and he'll like read the instructions and be like, I don't think I'm going to like it, or <laughs> I don't think we'll have a good time, or, you know, it doesn't look like it scales well down to two players, and we just really focus on two-player reviews right. and stuff. Like, he, he always gives a good reason, but he's always said no. On the other hand, he's reviewed, like, every single Steve Finn game, and he loves Steve Finn games, mm. for good reason. And I was sort of like, hey, Steve, you know, could you, like, ask him to review that? <laughs> like, um, and, and he did, and for sure. Uh, he has not only a, an avid audience, but a really active sort of Kickstarter backing audience. So, um, you know, and then people who know Keith, people who have been on my campaign. So, you know, it was a nice um, um, triangulation of all of, not that any of us necessarily have huge names. I mean, Jamie does, but like, I think Steve is, 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 is both known and unknown and Beth is both known and unknown and Keith, like, you know, People who are gaining attention but haven't, you know, probably people in Europe probably don't know their name. You know right. what I mean? Like they haven't like hit, um, but with enough sort of fan attention between them that there really was a nice swell of like people coming with a reason beyond just the like the advertisement drive, right? Mm. Well, that's that's pretty exciting. And so at this stage in the in the Kickstarter process, what's keeping you up at night? Um. Well, you know. What's keeping me up at night? Uh, responding to all these people is keeping me up at night. Uh, <laughs> it, like, no, the, the things that's kicking me up, I, you know, I've, I've now manufactured a bunch of games. I'm, I'm pretty on top of it. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly organized. And so there isn't really much of that sort of what am I going to do Kickstarter stress. Mm -hmm. Some of the stresses that I do face is like, this is a lot of people. And um, I'm, I'm Ed. And so <laughs> I, I, I think... I really, I really re realized with Liftoff. Liftoff was a game where I sort of hit my goal and just was just in this compulsion to like try to get the number as high as possible and try to get those stretch goals and try to get each and every backer. And the amazing thing is you, you learn that each and every person like is work. Mm -hmm. Every so like you work your butt off to get more people and each. So each new person you get turns into more work for you. So like you're like you're like chasing as it gets bigger, you're like chasing it, but then there's this whole other side of it where like you have to make sure they get their stuff, you got to make sure it's in the right place, you got to follow up with them. A third of them are going to write you an email and ask you questions and you got to look up tracking information and like you can average it out and every single person, every single number is like turns into 2 hours of your time. And so, like, there's this piece of it. The thing that keeps me up at night is, like, sure, it would be awesome to do it to break 2,000 backers. Like, that would be incredible. That would mean I could print, like, I mean, that would be incredible. But at the same time, it'd be like, wow, <laughs> that would be a lot of work. <laughs> and, and then, and, and, you know, I, I care about doing a good job. I, Jamie, I, I don't know if you read his blogs, mm. but he, he had a big write-up of, you know, Scythe was, like, 10,000, right, or 15,000 people. Like, ridiculous, mm. right? But Jamie's one of those guys. You talk to Jamie, you're like, "So how many employees you got?" I mean, this was probably a year and a half ago, and he'll, he, you know, none. 
one employee, two employees. You know, he's not, you think, oh, this guy's running. He has the same crappy, terrible margins as everybody wow. else. Um, and, and so, I mean, you know, and he's doing well, I'm sure. But, but my point is, he wrote this blog about how, like, it drained the life out of him to deal with it. Just, you know, customer service. You know, on a hundred people, you got to deal with ten, and dealing with ten people is okay. It's not that bad, but on dealing with a hundred people or that are pissed off or need help, or or five hundred people, you know, it's a it's a lot of interruption. It's a lot of burden. And so, um, again, I don't think this is going to take off to the point of of me being like really in trouble. But you know, I it's just a lot a lot of a lot. You know, you have your happy people and your sad people, and you this and you that, and you work through it. Mm-hmm. The real challenge is when you know, oh man, you're you're you ship a product to Korea, and it's missing a tile, and they want a new tile, and you want to do good customer service and and get them a new tile, but it costs you twenty dollars to send them a piece of cardboard, right? right? Like, right. and you'll walk away and you'll say, you know, did I really need that extra thousand bucks? Right. Hmm. <laughs> So Ed, you've uh, you know over time you've given us all a lot of good advice about launching a game, managing Kickstarter projects. Sure. Uh, give it, give us another one. Get, you know, f- find a hidden gem for us. What would you say to an aspiring game designer? I I think um the one I stick to, and I think I I, I express it in my like how to if you so you want to make a mm-hmm. game, but you know to me right, I I think the most important thing is, you know, life's about the journey, not the destination, right? Like, none of us get out of here alive, right? Um, and, and so, like, you know, I think if you get caught up in, like, trying to hit a number or some type of success or this or that, um, I think you lose the win and the moments and the things that happen along the way. The people who, you know, uh, appreciate what you've done or are excited or in particular the awesome moment you will have one way or the other no matter how dragged through the dirt you get <laughs> is when your people are playing it right and enjoying it right and telling you they're having fun and so i mean i think knowing what you're passionate about and 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 then doing it is 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 important and just not getting so caught up in it's easy to get caught up in what you're trying to accomplish and and sort of lose sight of the, 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 the feeling and the joy of, of, of doing it. And sometimes you're in a hard, you know, you, you, you know, life's hard and you, you sort of um, focus on, on the future to get through the current. But I, even then, I think it's good to recognize the things that are going on. So that's, I don't know if that's really helpful advice. But um, the other thing is just try, just, just do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't, don't worry so much about listening to advice. <laughs> like, you'll learn on your own and, and you'll learn one way or the other. Yeah, no, that's very good. Well, Ed, I have to uh, spring a surprise on you. Oh. Well, yeah, I, I, you weren't expecting this. but uh, So every every episode of the show, we bring okay. a game designer on, we talk about their game, but most importantly, we play what I like to call the game design challenge. All right. And here's how this works. So I'm going to pick a random game theme. Okay. I'm going to give it to you, sure. and then I want you to chew it over, think about it, preferably out loud, and then pitch back to me what that game might be. Oh, sure. You up for that? Yeah, sure. All right. 
Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to find. I a... thought you were going to have some old recording of me being offensive or something. <laughs> this is easy. That's that's next episode. Don't worry. We'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, so your theme is going to be campside politics. Campside politics. All right. Oh, so uh, okay. Well. Uh, you know, I mean, anyone could go any direction. I think for me, like, I'm not terribly interested personally in, like, games about actual politics. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't play into the, like, I, you know, you could, you could play into it in two different directions. One direction would be, like, politics, like Trump and Hillary Clinton, but sort of, like, campside dynamics of it or so like how you talk about them or deal with them when you're like not at work or you're you're in the but but instead i would take it the other way personally and go like the type of pol- quote unquote politics you would talk about at a campsite so it okay. wouldn't it wouldn't be so much political like government more like you know who gets to go to the outhouse first right and, like fighting over the nice camps of camp spot yeah yeah, the camps bond and who sets up the tent and who gets this. So I think just from a personal preference perspective, um, I would do that kind of thing. Um, I certainly wouldn't make it a social deduction game, so I would <laughs> avoid that, which I think would be sort of an obvious uh, angle. Um, but I'll leave social deduction to those folks who want to make social deduction games. Um, Fair and so from there, uh, okay, so... I think uh, I always like games that are, have good, are thematic and, and, and um, are evocative of the idea. So I would uh, imagine the setting to be a, um, a board. I, I would make a board or a component of, of, of pieces uh, with this uh, campfire um, uh, in the center. And mm-hmm. uh, I would build around it with where and how you're sitting around the campfire. And so I think... Um, Something about it would have to do with positional ranking um, within the space. So, like, I don't know if you've played the card game Jerk. Um, no, I don't really have. Um, there's other versions of it. Uh, it's the game where uh, basically you play through it, and the winner gets to be the president, and they get oh, two okay. cards from people, and yep. then somebody gets one, and the last player like has to do what every, everyone else says and <laughs> loses all the cards. Right. Um, right. There's like seven names, vice president or president. There's like a whole bunch of names for that game. Like Scum is the name. Scum, yeah, that's another one. Um, So, but rather than, you wouldn't have cards, but you'd imagine this sort of pecking order dynamic around the campfire and players, I I think you'd have like um, each, you know, you'd have a a set of benches, right? Or or not benches, but like... um, uh, not like logs cut in half on the ground, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And you'd have, you know, this sort of captain's log, <laughs> and and uh, and then you'd have the other ones around it. And so part of the game would be um, your your influence and your ability to influence politics and the decision making process would have to be where where your cumulative team of characters or your solo solo character is sitting in that. So part of it would be making decisions that impact the environments and earn you points um, and, 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 and gain friends, like, you know, alliances that you, I think it would be about engaging the other players to get in on decision-making so that like, sort of like, um, 
survivor, right? Like, like you, you know, you want you need people to raise their hand, but the higher you are in the rank, the you know, the less people you need to be on your side or whatever. I don't know. You'd be something around that. I don't. I don't have a. Uh, I just think that would be interesting, right. and then you could have fun with it. And I could imagine the art and the sort of the silliness that you'd have around it. I often don't start. I mean, you can. You can. I'm a big believer in mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics, um, from a design perspective, and um, I, I, I really love designing from all the different angles. But just generally, if I'm like making up an idea, like you just asked, I'd I'd go more to that aesthetic. Like, what would just be a fun, a fun sort of situational thing. Right. And then how does it interplay? And then underneath it, what are the, you know, what does it use cards? Does it use dice? Does it use, you know, is it worker placement? You could have, the game I just described could simply just have been worker placement, right? And mm-hmm. a- action selection, right? You could have just put that in there and then you're just choosing those slots and getting powers. Um, I probably wouldn't end up there. My game would be sloppier than that. I'm a, I'm a sloppy designer. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think slop is good. Yeah. Um, but Steve, on the other hand, is not a sloppy designer. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny. So, sorry, quick story. So Steve, I was working on gem pack cards. And that was a game where I started the mechanics because I had a video game, gem packed, I had done. And it has numbers in it and values for, like, you know, what you're scoring and what things are worth. And I had it at a good spot. But, again, I'm, not, I'm just not that numbers guy. And... I, I sent it to, I said, I asked uh, Steve if he would play it and give me some feedback. And he, he, he played it and he printed it. And I don't remember if he was excited or not, but his kids were like super excited. And like between, like over a weekend, they played it like 40 times. I'm exaggerating, but they played it a lot. <laughs> and he wrote me back, you know, and he was like, yeah, we played it and the mechanics work. And we just think your number should be this instead of what you had. Wow. Um, and, you know, I was like, yeah, let's just use your numbers because they're better than me. Like, I don't even, I don't even have, you don't even have to explain to me how you got those numbers. I just know that you thought about it and you're right and I'm just going to use them. Um, so we shipped with those numbers, with his numbers. Really? Pretty, I think we changed one or something, but they were just better. They just, they just hit the balance better. Um, some other things I didn't do, but, wow. um, but I really appreciate designers who, like, I'm mostly a generalist, so I really love working with specialists who are really good at certain things. Mm. Well, Ed, it's been a real pleasure talking with you this evening. Sure. Happy to come on. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And best of luck with the rest of your campaign, even if it, you know, every new backer is, is another two hours of pain for you. Yeah. But that's just where I'm living today. Every backer is a person who's going to have fun. So that's, that, that's actually worth more than the pain. It's just (laughs) when you look at it, the question was, what keeps you up at night? The pain, pain keeps you up. The, the joy that people are going to have is what, what gets you up in the morning. Okay, I like that. Well, well said. Well said. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk to you later, Ed. Okay. Well, that was Ed Baraff, the founder of Pencil First Games, bringing to you Herbaceous, currently on Kickstarter. This episode of Your Tables on Fire was brought to you by Word Domination, the award-winning word slash area control game currently on kickstarter go check it out at www.worddomination.net thanks for tuning in to your tables on fire you can follow us on twitter at tablefire and also check out our website for show notes and other details www.yourtablesonfire.com we're on itunes 
Stitcher, Google Play, and Board Game Geek. Hit us up on any of those sites and give us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up. Man.